Hello, and welcome back to Sunday Sermons, the official podcast of FMBC Houston. I'm Pastor Andrew Johnson, the senior pastor at FMBC Houston. We're so glad you chose to download and listen to this episode. If you're ever in the Houston area, join us for Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Crest Street. Good morning. No, y'all can do better than that. Say good morning. Just making sure you're awake this morning. Um, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And my heart is filled. I hope that your heart is filled to be in God's house, to praise him, uh, to worship through song and through word. Uh, God has commanded us to do that. And also God is worthy for us to do that. And so it's good to be in his house uh, despite all of the reasons why we, we must praise him, there's all these other added benefits to just being in loving relationship with the Lord and worshiping with his people. We've been walking through this series, Seven Gates, and uh, the reason why we're doing that is uh, we look at the passage of Nehemiah, how the Lord led Nehemiah to go back and to reestablish the walls around Jerusalem and to rebuild the gates that had been burned and destroyed. We started to look at that and said what, what those walls established for Jerusalem was uh, clear boundaries. And clear boundaries give definition uh, where this city starts and where it stops. Those who are inside the city and those who are outside the city. We started to look at the church today and say it's not exactly clear where the boundary lines are. So much of the common church today has maybe in good intention trying to reach out to the world has forgotten who she is. And we want to go back to the scriptures and be reminded of what makes us unique. Um, we're not going out into the world, as we said before, uh, like a, a young teenager trying to fit in, saying, what do y'all like and we'll become that? What's cool? What's popular? What will be, uh, how can we fit in? What Rather, we're trying to show them not how we are the same, but how through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that we are different. And we're not, we're trying, not that we're better, but that we have found a better way in Christ and that there is a better life in him and him alone. And so we're looking at these gates as core values. Gates are interesting because uh, when they're closed, they're a wall and they keep those out who, who are not welcome in. And though gates are also interesting that they open up for those who desire to come in. And also they open up for those who desire to go out. It's significant that these these core values are access points for us. They're things that are biblical convictions that we say, this is a part of the community of faith that I want to uh, partake of. And so last week we talked about union. Gate one was union. And if you remember, we talked about how we could say love of God or worship or um, lots of things, but union was the deepest picture that we are not separated, but that our relationship with God comes first. Remember, we looked at Martha and Mary. And uh, Martha, the Bible says, was distracted with much serving. Talked about how serving's not a bad thing. And a lot of things in our life are good things, gifts of God. But they can also become distractions. And Martha gets frustrated. I won't preach the whole sermon. Y'all can go find that on the podcast. But essentially, she comes to Jesus saying, Jesus, Lord, do you not care that I'm, you know, I'm here serving and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things, but one thing 
is necessary or essential. Mary has chosen the better portion, and it will not be taken from her. He says, I won't take it from her. I won't let you take it from her. And we decided that we want to have a Martha perspective. Uh, not a Martha perspective. We want to have a Mary perspective. We want to have a Mary perspective and a Mary lifestyle, a one-thing lifestyle. Jesus says one thing is essential. What was, she was doing that, what was she doing that was essential? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his voice as he taught her. Call union because we love the Lord, but union takes it to a deeper level. It's that picture of I am in you and you are in me and we are one. I abide in me and I abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. The love of God for the people of God is not only that he likes us or desires us or that we like him and desire him, but actually in Christ, you and I are being brought into relationship with God. This great mystery that our relationship is union. Gate two today, I want to talk to you about better news. Better news. So uh, it was about a year ago or two. Uh, I, I ran the risk. I think I could have got fired because uh, I made the suggestion and went through with the decision to start serving a different kind of coffee than just Folgers. Miss Wilma's still forgiving me. Thank you for grace, Miss Wilma. We still got Folgers if you want it, but we started serving a different kind of coffee. Well, and we started to have these beans and this grinder and this whole thing, and some of y'all are like, who cares, coffee's coffee, and that's fine. Here, here's the point. Somewhere along the way, the thing gets cleaned and put up and cleaned and put up, but a certain part was not put back in the machine, and I did not notice. So it was still grinding coffee, but it had like one setting. You know, and I'm like, uh, there was a knob to twist it, to grind it finer or more coarse, bigger grinds or smaller grinds. I'm like, I, I guess that's, I guess that's smaller. I guess that's bigger. I couldn't really tell the difference. There was no difference because the part that, that, that actually adjusted the grind was no longer in the machine. You know, what's funny is I just learned to live with it. And whether you know it or not, you just learn to live with it too. Cause you know, it is what it is. Uh, oftentimes, um, it's hard we know something's off, but it's mostly right, and because we're busy, and because it kind of does what it's supposed to do, essentially, uh, we just move on. I want to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, and I don't want to try to rob you of the joy of your salvation or say you've never heard the gospel, because I believe that you've been, if you are a child of God, if you've heard the message of Jesus Christ, you've been born again. And it's been preached by, by far greater preachers or teachers than I could ever be. And what's amazing is that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can use terrible preaching to lead people into salvation. It's not his desire, but it, it has happened. He can speak through a donkey, right? So, so God is able. But what I want to say is, is that the second gate for this community is that we preach a better news, at least for me, than the news that I heard that we want to preach the whole gospel, and I want to kind of explain to you what I mean by that. That's going to take some explanation, uh, but I, I pray that after you hear that, you say, oh, yeah, like, I, like that, that, that one faithful morning when I looked in the drawer and said, hey, what's this thing? Oh, that's part of the grinder. Oh, that's been missing for like a year. Picked it out, dumped out the coffee, put it in there. Hey, it's working. It works. Um, it works, 
as it was designed to work. I want us to go to Luke chapter 8. Whenever we start to tell, you know, I've been really stressed, uh, not, not stressed, I say I've felt the weight of significance about this message because the gospel, the good news, it is the power unto salvation for, for mankind. So when we say, you know, we want to make sure that we are getting the, the full truth of the gospel, uh, I don't want to mess that up. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's holy unto the Lord. And so we want to treat this as holy unto the Lord. And so I want to start in Luke chapter 8, um, verse 26, because I believe in this passage, there's many examples throughout the scripture of Jesus changing lives. If you go to the Gospels, you'll find many examples of how Jesus uh, intervenes with the divine grace of God and transforms the life and person of, uh, of many. This particular story is one of the greatest examples of the power of God's intervention in our lives. It's a powerful picture of how salvation Takes place, And so, if you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Once you found it, will you stand uh, in honor of reading God's word? We'll read it together. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there, him, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, say long time. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but had lived among the tombs. That's a cemetery, by the way. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Here, verse 35 is where we're really going to focus this morning. The people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone. And here's how the Bible describes it. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them of how the demon-possessed man had been healed. 
Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord is eternal. You may be seated. Friends, this morning I want to tell you about better news. Um, I want to distinguish better news. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ is better news than any religious system that man could create. Uh, Better news is is not, uh, the gospel is not simply um, the best thing that we could come up with as human beings. Better news is, at the pinnacle of all that man could do to try to reach God, we fell short. And the gospel of Jesus Christ was not created by man man or by the imagination of man, but by the Spirit of God and the power of God, we have a message that is better than anything this world can offer. And I believe, if you look at the story of the demoniac, there are people, and I would say all people, but particularly some more obvious There are people in the world, and I would say the whole world and creation itself is crying out for something better than the message that we have often heard in church. And what I mean by that is this, I'm going to say some things and you might have some questions and then we're going to work through those. I want to declare to you this morning that salvation, salvation, being saved. We'll explain and define that in a moment, but it's something we described as the, 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 the byproduct or the, the result of God's divine work in the life of the believer. Salvation is more than just believing that we are forgiven. I say more than because it, being forgiven is a part of it. But salvation is more than just believing that we are forgiven. Salvation is believing that we are beloved, that we are righteous, and that we are whole. That we are beloved, loved by God. That we are righteous, and that we are whole. And I really want to focus on the result of a conversation with Jesus. It was more than just words. It was the divine finger of God that brought the power of God that transformed one known as the demoniac from from whatever he was. For a long time, he wasn't wearing clothes. For a long time, he was making his bed at night in the grave amongst the tombs. For a long time, the society around him didn't know how to help him. They said, if we can't help him, the best thing we can do is lock him up so he doesn't hurt anybody else. Even that didn't work. The mighty, more terrifying thing was not the man himself, but that when they came to see the man, that Jesus, the Son of God, the incarnate Word, the Logos in the flesh, Jesus Christ had, by his power, saved that man, transformed that man, And the the work of Christ in his life is not just for, you know, people living in graveyards. Because whether you know it or not, you might be a lot more like the demoniac than you realize. Apart from and before the work of God in your life, 
we were in far greater danger than we realized. And reclaiming better news is saying, I want, I want to be a part of a church that has more than uh, some self-help for me to become a better person. I want to be that this gate of better news means I, I have a conviction that as for me and my house and my son and my daughter, I want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that, leads, that is the power unto salvation. And I want for their encounter with Christ and I want for my encounter with, with Christ to transform me, not just to being forgiven. Imagine the demoniac saying, hey, look, <laughs> A, a local preacher comes by and says, whoa, you're a mess, dude. And can you wipe some of that, that foam out of your mouth? And can I just talk to you for a little bit? If you died tonight, do you know where you would be? Jesus Christ died to forgive you of your sins. Jesus Christ died, yes, to forgive you of your sins, but that's part of it. it it's kind of like, I was talking, I, I, it's kind of like I'm buying a house because I like the color of, that the door is painted. That, that's good, <laughs> but that's not the whole entirety of why you purchase a home because, man, I really like, it's a bright red, and I've always wanted a house with a bright red door. You can paint the door whatever color you want. That's a bad financial decision. Maybe that's a bad metaphor, but it's, what, it's all I got. So salvation is more than just believing we are forgiven. Look at verse 35 again, Luke eight thirty-five. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I want us to look at sitting at the feet of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? It happened last week. Martha was busy, distracted with much serving, but where was Mary? She had chosen the better portion. What was the better portion? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach, listening to the voice of Jesus. Uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, if, if I was sitting at your feet, culturally you might say, that's kind of strange. What, what's, what's the, it's, the, it's a posture of the rabbi and the student, sure. So there's a, there's a learning that's happening. It's a posture of nearness and closeness, but also submission. So I am a friend of God, and yet he's still God, and I am not. So I'm sitting near him, because I'm not afraid, right? The Bible says in Hebrews now, we boldly approach the throne of grace. So I'm so near to him, but I still sit under him. So I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. The picture of sitting at the feet of Jesus, it is the picture of union, and really the picture of union goes far deeper than that. But in this picture, let's just say that sitting at the feet of Jesus describes the union between ourselves and Christ, the love we have for God and the love that God has for us. Um, clothed. We're going to talk about that for a little bit in a moment. That, that clothed is a picture. Uh, he was not clothed, and then he was clothed. And you go throughout the Scriptures, you find that clothing is often referenced as a picture of righteousness, the cloak of righteousness. It's, it's essentially a covering. Um, whenever Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and, 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 and all the world was tainted and destroyed by sin. Um, not destroyed, but tainted and, and damaged by sin. Um, they were without covering. And the Bible says that God made for them, gathered for them skins to wrap themselves with. Uh, it's a picture of righteousness, and we'll unpack that in a moment. And then finally, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed 
and in his right mind. This is a very, very powerful picture. Uh, one, the most obvious definition would be like, well, he's not crazy anymore. And that's good. But it's more than just he's not crazy anymore. The, the Greek word is sophroneo, sous, and then friend, which really means sous is safe. And then friend is where we get our word diaphragm. It's, it's innermost being, that which regulates breathing. He was, sophroneo was a picture of all his internal, internal world was whole. Nothing broken, nothing lacking, nothing at war, but complete peace. In the Old Testament, it's the shalom of God. In the New Testament, it is sozo, which is salvation, which is wholeness. Nothing broken, nothing lacking. So how is this better news? Uh, um, I want us to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 uh, through 28. It's really important that we get the gospel right. Amen? I will say that, as I have already said, that the gospel um, is something that continues to be, uh, is something we continue to grow in our knowledge of, right? So there's grace that whatever, at whatever level that we understand the gospel, God is explaining it more and more. I can say that I know him better now than I did when I was first, first came to Christ, amen? I hope that's true for all of us. So, of course, the understanding of the gospel is always growing, but I want us to make sure that at the outset, we really understand what God did for us. And in order for us to do that, here's a passage that gives us just a reminder of how significant it is. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Colossians 1.24, Paul is explaining his motivation for preaching the gospel. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. Paul's explaining that the calling on his life is to explain the word or the truth or the wisdom of God and to explain it fully. Verse 26 the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. That's a lot of buildup. <laughs> He's really adding emphasis that, that this great mystery, all of the ages have been waiting for this mystery. It's what God chose to re reveal through the Gentiles. What a strange thing. All uh, climactically arriving at this moment, this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. For worshipers of Yahweh, even with the prophecies of old, they never could have imagined that salvation for Israel and for all of people would one day mean that the unspeakable name of Yahweh would not only come to earth, would not only allow us to call him Abba, but by the power of the Spirit would come and dwell in us. 
union, that he would live in us and we would live in him. He would love us so much that he would transform us from the inside out. Not only that God's people would worship him as holy, but because God would take up residence in us, he would transform us into his holiness. This is better news, friend. Without the impact of what God has done in your life, um, you'll miss this. And so Christ in you is the hope of glory. It is him that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so I want to lay before you kind of the problem, the solution, and the result of the gospel. And then we're going to get into the results of um, uh, beloved, righteous, and wholeness. So here's what the just forgiven gospel is. Uh, how many of y'all, I know it's not all of us, but how many of y'all grew up in church when you were little? Anyone get dragged to church when you were little? I did, man. I, I got dragged to church when I was little. I didn't understand it. Ultimately, it saved my life, and it gave me life. Amen? But earlier in those days, we came occasionally. Um, and, but I learned uh, earlier on that praying was important. And eventually, around age eight, uh, it was at the age of eight that the Lord redeemed me. He showed me the truth and brought me to salvation you say, eight years old? Yes, eight years old. And I can say that um, um, God transformed my life and my heart. And I knew that prayer was important. So in those early days, I started praying a prayer. I don't know if I was eight or 10 or whatever. And it's kind of a prayer that held me until like high school and then college. It was the prayer that I would pray before to go, I went to sleep. And I thought, I got to pray a good prayer, but I'm tired. So how do I get a good prayer that's like short and sweet? Like how do I, y'all got any of those short and sweet prayers that's like, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. Now, ultimately, those of you deeper, more mature Christians are saying, well, brother, that's not very holy. You're right. I'm just saying at my place where I was at, I had this, what can I say? What's the most simple prayer that I could say that's, that's a good prayer, that it's like right, and that's a prayer that God wants to hear me say, and I want my heart to say it truthfully, but then I can just say that before I go to bed, and then I, you know, check that box, right? Thank God that growth and maturity happens, right? But anyways, that's where I was at, and here was my prayer. Do you want to hear my prayer? Dear Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please help me to become a better Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Lord, forgive me of my sins. Help me to become a better Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I said that. I thought that was a good prayer. That's a pretty good prayer, right? So anyways, I thought it was a good prayer, right? Dear Lord, let me just say, you're Lord. You're God. I'm coming to you. I know you're God. First thing, before we say anything, I know I'm a sinner. I know you're disappointed in me. Forgive me of my sins. That was what was first on my mind, and that was what was first taught to me. So you kind of, you know, you, uh, what you win them with is what you win them to. And so that's, that's kind of how I realized, okay, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know <laughs> uh, you know that, and I know that. So let me clear, let's just clear the air first. And then second of all, I need your help to help me do better because I know I'm not doing my best, right? So help me become a better Christian, a better Christ follower. In Jesus' name, amen. That was my prayer. And I want you to know that came from an honest and sincere heart, but I want to say it's also kind of reflective of what I was taught, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died for your sins, and because he took the punishment of the cross, by the way, you sinned, you committed a crime, that was your death penalty for the wages of sin is 
death. And so we viewed that, that, that the wages of sin is death. So that was a punishment that was coming to you. God was going to punish you. And because Christ chose to step in, uh, God the Father punished him instead. And because of that reason, his blood washes away your sins. And now you stand before God forgiven. Now, I have to tell you, I will not reject that message because it is the message that led me unto salvation, and it's true. It is true, but it's not the wholeness of the truth. Because I want to tell you, from whatever age I started to believe in the truth, to many years, maybe decades after, I stood before God, and my main understanding was, hey, I know you forgave me, but I never realized that the Holy Spirit transformed me. So I was a sinner saved by grace, a disappointment. You know, that one that uh, God's good, so he has to forgive us because he's so good. But I'm ultimately, what I am, was, am, and always will be is someone who, who is a sinner, who needs to ask for forgiveness, and second of all, who's not trying hard enough. Religion, if it's man-made religion, has one message, try harder. Amen? Oh, y'all are, y'all are followers of that message. Have you heard that message at least? Did you grow up, or are you still preaching to yourself a message of try harder? You're not trying hard enough. If you just cared more, if you loved God more, you're the one who's really at fault here. It also assumes that you are the one who actually has the power to transform yourself. And I want to tell you, you do not. In this way, God proved his love for us while we were yet sinners Christ died for us I didn't do anything to inherit or 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 earn this salvation I certainly wasn't strong enough wise enough or holy enough God saved me go tell the demoniac try harder man can you just once you clear the foam out of your mouth and start stop breaking chains can you stop that for a minute just calm down and repeat these words after me no there has to be more power than the power of the flesh then there has to be more power than willpower because willpower never broke the chains off of my life. My own determination and my own mindset, my own strength and wisdom is not what saved me. God saved me. So here's the the just forgiven gospel. That's what I want to call the weaker version that was all I knew. Here's the problem. Uh, Sin is a crime that we have committed against God, and there's a punishment that is due to us. Just so you know, that theology was not really described uh, in in, in detail until like the reformers in the 1500s. That doesn't mean that it's bad. It's good. I'm just saying it's not first. It's not primary, and it's a good description. Have you ever heard someone try to describe the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, the Trinity? Have you ever tried to describe the Trinity? We say, well, the Trinity's kind of like, you know, a father and a son and, and a, a, a mother. No, no, the Trinity's kind of like ice and water and steam. There's all these different ways, and it's our attempt to try to describe something, and oftentimes it's done with good, you know, intentions, but sometimes it's just straight heretical or, or, or flawed or, or impartial to say the least, right? Oftentimes, so what we have is there was this renaissance, this enlightenment, this a return to rationalization in the 1500s, and there was this new thing called the courtroom. By the way, there was never a jury of your peers 2,000 years ago. There wasn't a judge with a gavel or, or, or any English common law. Those were all innovations in the 1500s. Did y'all know that? Like God never wore a black robe with one of those white things like Judge Judy? That didn't exist 
2,000 years ago, than exists 1,000 years ago. It it started to come into being about 500 years ago. What's my point? The main version of the gospel I heard was, God is the judge, Jesus is my defense attorney. Have y'all ever heard this one? And you are convicted. I mean, you're the criminal, you're sitting up front, and you're about to go to jail. But Jesus stands up, and in your defense, he, he, he reasons with God so that you won't. That's a decent metaphor, just kind of like the ice, water, and steam thing for the Trinity. But it, in some ways, it's flawed, and actually, it's not the fullness of what happened. So I, I don't want to diminish that. I just want to say that's not the fullness. We are more than just forgiven sinners, and sin was not just a crime. So the result, after if you do that, here's what happens. You get off for the crime, right? The the judge slams the gavel. Not guilty. But in the back of your mind, you're saying, but yeah, I am. (laughs) I still feel guilty. I mean, I know he forgives me, but ultimately he and I know the truth of what I am. A forgiven, guilty convict. That's not the fullness of the picture, friend. The better news is this, is if you go back to the beginning of Uh, uh, of the story is that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Amen? His sons and daughters, beloved of the Lord. Um, They were deceived by a lie that said that God was holding out on them, and in their own selfish desires, they chose Satan's path, which was to take and eat of the fruit of the, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. All right, we're tracking so far. They were deceived. Sin is deception. Immediately after they were deceived, they were separated. Ultimately, that God came looking for fellowship. That's good news, by the way, because God came looking for fellowship. Man self-selected to hide in the bushes. Amen? Adam, where are you? When God came to walk in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve, now knowing now self-aware that they had sinned, realized that they, of their nakedness and shame caused them to go and hide. Fear caused them to go and hide in the bushes. And then ultimately, not only deception and separation, but death. By sin, death entered into the world. And God made sure that they could no longer eat of the fruit of eternal life, that they must ultimately die. And that was a consequence of sin. That's what it means that the wages of sin is death, by the way. The early church fathers had this picture of if you were to cut a rose off of the bush, that rose is dying. But it's not a punishment, it's a byproduct of cutting the rose from the bush. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. But if you're cut off, the wages of sin, the payment, the result of sin is death. So what's the result of the just forgiven gospel? I've been forgiven. I'm a forgiven sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You're more than that. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. What you do does not define you, nor did it ever define you. The only thing that should define us is one beloved of the Lord. It's the only thing that goes deeper to the bedrock of those who are created in the image of God, loved by God unto salvation. You're more than just a forgiven sinner with work to do. You're a redeemed child, and the work is complete.
There's an Alan Jackson song. Y'all know I'm country. I got to quote one redneck song for a sermon. Where I come from, a lot of... Let me make sure it's a clean one. Yeah, it's clean, it's clean, it's clean. Uh, where I come from, a lot of cornbread and chicken, a lot of back porch sitting. Have y'all heard this? Where I come from, trying to... Uh, 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 I forget the last part, but it says, working hard to get to heaven where I come from. And boy, that was the gospel we believe. Working hard to get to heaven. You got to be right. You got to live right. You got to stop cussing, stop drinking, stop going over there, go to church more, give more tithe. Have you heard about missionaries? You should be on the mission field. You're not doing enough. And by the way, try as hard as you can. The greatest saints, the older mothers of the church still stood in prayer feeling that they were not satisfied or, or, or that God was not satisfied with them. You're more than just a forgiven sinner. You're a redeemed child. The work is complete. The picture for us is the picture of this man who was beloved, righteous, and whole. So let me read that verse again, and then I'll explain what I mean here. I lost y'all with, with Alan Jackson. I'm sorry. We'll get back on track here. When the people went out to see what had happened, they came to, the, to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I want to tell you that the results of better news, the results of the gospel, the power of gospel that leads unto salvation, not unto just forgiveness, but salvation, which is a total, complete transformation of the believer. The first part is that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. I want to give us the, the, the better news has to start with we are beloved of the Lord. First John chapter three, verses one through three says this. First John three, one through three says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, that's, that's your name, by the way, those loved by the Lord. The Greek word is agapatoi, the ones who have been Agape, that's my English version. The, those who have been agape, those who have been unconditionally loved by the Lord. No matter what identity you chose or lived into or received growing up, whatever what names were called on you or whatever you, you felt, this is who I am. Let me tell you who you are, my brother, my sister. You are the one unconditionally loved by God, and that is a work of his, not yours. So you can't boast about it, and you cannot mess it up. If you come to the knowledge of that salvation, the first step of salvation, I won't say step, but the first, one of the realities of salvation is you are beloved of the Lord. The Father spoke over Jesus at the baptism of the Jordan River. Before he did a miracle or before he ever proved it, the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The first thing that happened is that the Spirit led him out to be tempted of the devil. And what did devil attack him with? If you really are the Son of God. Hey, so, oh, so you're the Son of God, right? Why don't you go ahead and turn these rocks into bread then? If you really are the Son of God, then why don't you climb up? You know what? Try harder to, be, to prove that you are who he already said that you are. He's sitting out there and he's hungry. And if you're really the Son of God, you really shouldn't be hungry. So make you some bread right now. 
Do you see the attack of the enemy in your life trying to question, cause you to question what God says that you are, beloved child, by proving it with your works? Now, we'll get to faith without works is dead, but I'm just saying that it's by his salvation, by his power in our life that we are children of God. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we, ha- we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John fifteen twelve says this, speaking of how we are beloved of the Lord, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. We sang that this morning. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus says no one has greater love than to lay down their own life. And he says, I'm about to show you how much I love you. As he stretched his arm wide, he says, I love you this much that I will lay down my life for you so that you might live. In a book called Abba's Child by Brendan Manning, he says, In my experience, self-hatred is the dominant disease that is crippling Christians and stifling their growth in the Holy Spirit. Often the voices, negative voices from our family or from others or from ourselves, upon looking at our past and our failures, say, You will never amount to anything. Moralizing from the church, pressure to be successful, transform expectant pilgrims into a dispirited traveling troop of brooding hamlets. Alcoholism, workism, workaholism, mounting addictive behaviors, all these things reflect the magnitude of the problem. Henry Nouwen said it this way, Over the years I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power but oftentimes the absence of love or self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a greater temptation, but it only comes from the way that they are part of the much larger temptation to reject our love, our beloved nature as the children of God. Do you know how much God loves you? And if you really knew that, it would transform the way in which you receive love and can give love. The man sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to his truth, listening to his voice in union with him. The other thing it says that he was clothed in righteousness. The Greek word for righteous is diaiko. I'm not going to say that right, but diakousane. To be righteous means this. To be righteous means to be divinely approved of. 
Now, how many of you would say that when I worship God this morning, when they, the band struck up the first song, if they said, I, you know, if I were to sing, I am divinely approved of, is that the reality that you believe and trust in your heart? For those who have been transformed by the salvation of God in our lives, because of the finished work of the cross and the resurrection, you and I, God looks at his work in Christ and applies it to your life and says, I approve of Christ. How many know that God approves of Christ? The, the Father approves of the Son. Then he looks at your life and imputed righteousness. He, he, he applies the righteousness of Christ to your life. He looks at you and says, you are one in whom I am divinely approved. Because I'm not looking at you based off of your behavior or how many mistakes you might have made. I'm looking at you through Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the only way that we have access to God, and Christ is the only way that God has access to us. In Christ, you are perfectly righteous. That man had been living in the cemetery for a long time, uncovered. The thing about what happens when you're uncovered, not clothed, is that the good, the bad, and the ugly is all showing, right? And the picture of righteousness is that when God in his goodness has wrapped us in his cloak of righteousness, he no longer sees your flaws or failures, but ultimately they are disappeared by the covering of his righteousness. You're not a disappointment. You are divinely approved of. And here's the thing, it's an all or nothing type of deal with salvation, because how many of y'all are halfway saved? There ain't such a thing. You are either as righteous as God, or your righteousness is as filthy rags, as says in the Old Testament. My righteousness is as filthy rags, but I'm not standing in my righteousness, I'm standing in the righteousness of God in Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, this is Romans 5, verse 18, Talking about Adam, one trespass, one sin led to the condemnation for all men. So in Christ, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedi obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, we get Adam's deal, like Adam through the sin of Adam, we believe that sin entered into the world. And how many of y'all, I don't think I have to, you know, debate with you too long for you to believe that you're sinners. I don't think that lost people have to be talked into that. They pretty much know. Some may not, but I think most people know, hey, I messed up. I, I commit sins. What's harder for the believer to believe is that not only did Adam's disease infect us or his disobedience made us sinners, but Christ's obedience has made you to be righteous. So whose actions were more mighty, those of Adam or those of Jesus? Man, I don't know. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner, but when saved by grace happened, I am a child of the living God, and I believe that what he did was more mighty than what Adam did. Verse 20 says, the law came to increase the trespass. That's the whole Old Testament. That as the law was given, suddenly Israel realizes that we can't live up to who God's called us to be. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that 
as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That when it came to the final point of desperation where he said, we know what righteousness is and there's no way that I could ever live that, then Jesus Christ lived that and he gave that to you. Your life would have a different impact for yourself and for those around you if you believed you were living as one who was righteous rather than living as one who's forgiven but ultimately a disappointment with a lot of work to do. This last point I want to make is the the point of wholeness. So I talked about that we are beloved, we are righteous, and we are whole. Which, by the way, oh man, have, have you ever... Yeah, well, I'll just go ahead and go with it. Um, before we get to wholeness, let me go back to righteousness. You can never... Our first gate was union. We talked about our connection with God. You're going to have a hard time connecting with God if you feel that you're unrighteous because you know that he's righteous. And a perfect God, what, what business does a perfect God have with someone who's unrighteous? I can tell you there is no relationship possible. They say, well, then how does he relate to me? Because you're perfectly righteous. Amen. In Christ is the only way that you have relationship with God, and most often than not, more often than not, you think you're doing God a service by declaring to Him, "Dear Lord, forgive me for my sins. Help me become a better Christian." In Jesus' name, I pray. And He's saying, "Son, you've already been forgiven, and that's good to repent. It's good to ask for forgiveness. But do you know that you are my son first? Do you know that you've already been forgiven? Do you know that you are already righteous? There is no separation here. I'm not the one far from you. You keep hiding from me in the bushes because you found out you're naked. I knew what you looked like when I made you, and I made you in my image. There's no shame or fear or rejection on my part, but you're hiding in the bushes because you're not worthy and not righteous. I guess you believe your word over your life more than his word over your life. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. Here it is, verse 21. This is the mystery of your righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, you are the righteousness of God. Amen? Lord, give us a church that believes that.
If you're a sinner saved by grace, you know why you have problems with addiction and why you keep going back to those behaviors that you know are not God's best for you and why you keep living in sin. Or, or, and I'm not speaking that over everyone, but I know that's got to be the story of some of us. It might be the story of some of us. You are living out what you believe yourself to be. As a man thinketh in his heart, therefore, there, there, there so he is. And so you believe you're a sinner saved by grace. You're living like a sinner saved by grace. But when you understand that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, there are certain behaviors that are going to start to fall off of you because you say, that's not who I am anymore. Last but not least, whole. You are whole. The man was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. The picture of wholeness is the picture of salvation. The Greek word for salvation is sozo. Can you all say sozo? For someone to be saved, it doesn't just mean that they're forgiven. The greatest picture of salvation was often for these miracles where someone was broken, uh, lame, sick, diseased, leprous, and Jesus would save them. There was always this connection between healing and the forgiveness of sins, that once he forgave them of his sins, he could heal them, and sometimes he would heal them and then forgive them of their sins. The picture in the gospel is similar, that this salvation means that from the inside out, nothing is broken, nothing is lacking. The word in the Greek is that he was in his right mind, sophroneo, a safe diaphragm. I thought his mind would be up here. No, they understood that to be in your right mind, because y'all have been, some of y'all have been out of your mind before, right? Y'all have all been out of your mind sometime or another in your life. To be in your right mind means that in the depths of the core of your being, there's a safeness, there's a peace, there's a calm. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is shalom. There's peace. Peace does not just mean that there's no war. It means that everything is ordered as God has designed it. He told to the tax collector, uh, he told to uh, Levi as he brought him into salvation. The Pharisees were judging him. The Pharisees, uh, let's go to uh, Luke 5, verse 30. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31, and Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. Friend, you don't need me to tell you this, but apart from Christ and before Christ, you had um, a sickness in you. Something was wrong with you. You have problems. And in fact, your problem was uniquely broken because your life was uniquely broken in a way that mine was uniquely broken differently. But all that to say, the picture of salvation is that Christ comes to heal everything that's broken in your life. Every past trauma or wound, every mistake and sin you've made, every, every decision, God through Christ does not just forgive you and say, look, your life is a mess, but don't worry, after this you go to heaven. No, he actually wants to, in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, come into every broken place in your life, financial places, sexual places, uh, communication I mean, from the little to the big, the way you care for your house to the way that you love your spouse to the way that you raise your kids, anything that was broken from this world, God wants to make it whole and new. That it would all be ordered well, that everything would go well for you. 
as he designed it to go. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick. I realize that some of my my biggest sin struggles, and I've had a lot, but my biggest sin struggles were often byproducts of brokenness. And in the church, we celebrate brokenness. It's, it's in our songs. We want to be broken. There's, there's scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about that, and that's a great place to meet God. But God doesn't keep you broken without bringing you back together into wholeness. Amen? You say, well, I, this is who I am. This is who I've always been. I guess it's just my cross to bear. Your cross to bear is not what he bared the cross so that you might be made whole. Yes, you must follow him. There are struggles, but your wholeness, your salvation is that you would be made whole. So, Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. Start talking about the gospel, Lord. I could go on and on about what you've done in my life. It breaks my heart, Lord, and I know I look back at the gospel I used to believe, Lord. And I know so many of us are still living under that gospel that you forgive us and, um, and we ought to be happy with that. And I am so happy with that, Lord. But the truth is, there was a long time where I didn't realize that you died that I might be saved. And saved does not just mean forgiven. Saved means that I am beloved. You love me more than I could ever imagine. You love me more than I could love my wife or love my child. You love me more than that. You love me with the perfect, unconditional, unfailing love that never turns and never gives up. You love us that way and more. That we are righteous that because, Jesus, you lived a perfect life and you accomplished every single commandment of the law, you have won for us what we never could have won. I never could have followed all the rules. But, Lord, you're perfectly righteous. And the righteousness we have is not something that we earned. It's a gift that we receive. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Last but not least, Lord, I just pray for brothers and sisters in this house that are still carrying wounds from when they were kids, and that stuff is still defining them. Stuff that happened to them that they don't talk about, but ultimately it's some of the main reasons they're still running into dangerous sin patterns today. You came that they might have life and life more abundantly. You came that they might be beloved, righteous, and whole have a sound mind that their internal world would have nothing broken and nothing missing. Lord, that process of coming to a, a safe place in our interior world, coming into wholeness, it's a process, Lord. It don't always happen overnight, but there's a way in which we, through salvation in Christ, can be made whole. Lord, I just pray over my brothers and sisters that they would know this gospel. One of the witnesses that we have settled for something less is that 
the stuff we're selling, people ain't buying oftentimes because they look at our lives, and our lives are not a picture of the good life. Lord, give us a picture of better news, that when we believe better news, we live a life as those who are beloved, those who are righteous, and those who are whole. That's a picture of the life that everyone would want, Lord. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you'd like to be notified for future episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review in your podcast app. Remember, if you're ever in the Houston area, we'd love to have you for Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Crest.